Well, what did you expect to happen at church today? Those of you who were here last week, we spent most of the message talking about that. What did you expect to happen today? Any chance it's a little more in keeping with who God is and his presence? Maybe. See, church is about engaging the supernatural, isn't it? I mean, if, if you've come, even if you don't believe in God, at some level you've come and that's what you do in church. You engage with a person who is supernatural. And if you're a Christian, your whole week ought to be lived in both the natural and the supernatural. True? You know, things ought to happen in your life during the week and things ought to happen at church that science can't explain. Is anyone with me on that? Yes. It, it ought to be. I mean, if, if I said this to the, uh, the serving team this morning who are serving uh, all over the place around today's service, you know, if, if all that we get at the end of a church service is just the sum of all the input naturally that everyone put into the service, we'd probably failed at running a church service, haven't we? Because it's not, what we're doing here is not really mere addition. What we're wanting to do here is we're wanting to connect with God, wanting to connect with the supernatural reality. Now, last week I uh, finished by saying that we're heading into a series on spiritual gifts. I'm pretty excited about this and it seems like a bunch of you are pretty excited about it. So I'd love for you to grab your Bibles. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 12. I'd love for you to open up there. I just want to just throw something in in terms of a contextual kind of thought about 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 to make sure that we read it in keeping with the way that I think it's been written. And I want to ask you this question. What do you think, what, what is Paul actually trying to do in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14? Would anyone like to have a guess as to why is he talking about spiritual gifts? What is he actually doing? Is it a 17-point logical argument about spiritual gifts to just try and teach you something or is he doing something else? Anyone like to have a punt at that? What's, what's, what's he doing? What's his objective? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. That is what he's doing. I'll give you a quick tip. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians 14. If you've got a paper version, that'll be helpful for you. You can sneak up the back and grab one if you want one. What, what, what is 1 Corinthians 14 about? We read these three chapters last week, right? But everyone forgets stuff when they walk out the door. So it's, it's cool. You're not in trouble. But uh, what, what, what's going on in 1 Corinthians 14? Like, what is Paul actually doing? It's bringing order to something that doesn't have a whole lot of order to it, okay? You can see that in 1 Corinthians 14. So uh, just at the start, before we actually read stuff, what you've got to do is you've got to realise Paul is not laying down precept by precept to teach you everything that you need to know about spiritual gifts. He's actually not being instructional as much as he is being correctional, does that make sense? He's wanting to correct things to make sure that things go in the right way. He's not being instructional in terms of laying out 15 or 17 points about everything you need to know about spiritual gifts and how spiritual gifts operate, okay? That's a really important thing to remember. Uh, I, I read that this week in, uh, in a work by a guy called Gordon Fee, I think his name is, and I thought that's really helpful because one of the things you actually find 
if you're observant, is the spiritual gift list in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. I mean, if you actually look at 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, Paul lists the spiritual gifts multiple times and the lists are all different. And then if you go to Romans 12, where there's a list of a whole bunch of spiritual gifts, the 1 Corinthians 12 gifts are different to the ones in Romans 12. And then if you go to 1 Peter 4, there seems to be another list of gifts there. And, uh, and, and then you even uh, get into Ephesians 4, I think it is, where it talks about other gifts on top of that. And they're not the same. All right? So I think what that tells you, uh, one of the things that it tells you, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but one of the things it actually tells you is you just want to be a little bit cautious and a little bit careful about setting up really, really clear lists of spiritual gifts because you just don't see that. What you've got to remember is that Paul's bringing a corrective here. He's actually trying to fix something that's not operating well. So let's hook in uh, and, and have a bit of a read here. 1 Corinthians 12, we're just going to read verse 4 to 7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Who typically was called Lord in the New Testament? Jesus. So we've got the Spirit, we've got Jesus. All right, And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. So you can see there, it's Paul saying it's, this, it's the Trinity. It's actually the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit all operating in the church. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All right, let's get into it. Here's the first thing today. The first thing today, and you know this, right, but God is generous. (laughs) All right, straight off the bat, you have a look at verse 4 there, and it's just going, right, God gives gifts. He gives stuff. And we all who've been in the church for a while, you just go, yeah, yeah, okay, he's generous. Well, he doesn't have to be. There's no rule that God has to be generous to you. I mean, he could have hit the smite button after Adam and Eve blew it in Genesis 3, couldn't he? He wouldn't have been wrong to do that. It's like we're going to wipe the slate here. He could have done it in uh, Genesis 6, I think it is, in the flood. He could have got rid of humanity then. But history catalogues this story where a giving God keeps giving, doesn't it? Is anyone with me on this? You guys a bit lame this morning. Come on. This is good, right? Not what I'm saying, but it's good that God's a generous God. You know, let's, let's just engage with that. Sorry, I just insulted you by calling you lame. All right? Just wanting to stir you up this morning. God is generous to you and he's generous and he's generous and he's generous and he's generous. He keeps being involved with his people. He takes on skin and he comes down onto the planet and he dies the death of a criminal on a Roman cross to save you. He gives his son to you. And as if that wouldn't be enough, he goes, you know what I'm going to do? My son is not the only one who's a temple in which God dwells. The church is not the only one who's a temple in which God dwells. God's going to dwell in you. That's awesome, isn't it? He didn't have to give us that. You see that? Like it's even, it's generous that God would say, I'm going to come and I'm going to live inside of you. But it goes even another step forward from that. And he says, not only am I going to give you the Spirit, but I'm going to give you gifts to which you can bless each other. Who's excited about that? So generous. You know, he could have bailed at any point, but he doesn't bail. 
you know, the meeting point between God and humanity is, is not the tabernacle anymore. It's not even the physical temple anymore. It is the person of Christ. It is in the church, but it's you as well. God lives in us. Grace upon grace upon grace. And if you just go, I don't know what grace means, like gift upon gift upon gift upon generosity upon generosity. And every single day, the job for you is to get further and further indebted to his kindness and his generosity to you. So you don't get up in the morning and think I've got to pay him back. True? Because that's not the gig, right? The gig for the whole of human history, the gig for your whole life is to get as indebted to his grace and his kindness and his gifts to you as possible. Take as much as you can and just soak them up. Amen? Come back with me to 1 Corinthians, almost said Ephesians then. I would have it so hard, don't I? 1 Corinthians 12, 4-6. You see there... Um, Paul says uh, there are lots, of, lots and lots of gifts, lots of ways of servants, lots of activities. Um, who is the one that energises all of those? It's God. That's what it is. And that's how it ought to be. It ought to be that God's the one who empowers and energises. I almost showed you a classic energiser lithium ad. You remember the bunny? It's, you know, and it just energizer lithium goes so much better than Duracell batteries, you know, because it can take 300 digital camera shots. And it's like we don't even stick batteries like that in cameras anymore. We don't even have cameras, we just have phones. You know, the, the shot with the energizer um, lithium battery bunny is this bunny is running around the racetrack. Do you remember that? It runs around the racetrack and it's got this battery in its back. You know, you think about the Christian life and that's how it's meant to be. It's like the Spirit is meant to be right in the centre of you and energising everything that you do, empowering everything that you do. So let me ask you a question. Where is your level of dependency up to? Where is it up to? If that's how it's meant to be, what's, how are you pushing in to God to get the energy and the empowering and the energising that you need? Some of you, maybe even today, would just go, well, I don't feel particularly energised. That's why you need the Spirit. All right? And when you feel particularly energised, like you can do stuff, that's why you need the Spirit, because you're not as good as what you think you are. All right? You just need the Spirit. You need God's energy and His empowering all of the time. Do you regularly look to God? Is He the energy and the power inside of you that runs you? You know, in some ways, a lot of ways, if we can use that corny illustration of the energizer bunny. We're meant to be, as Christians, the energizer bunny, and everyone else is, who doesn't have the Holy Spirit's meant to be Duracell, aren't they? Are you with me? So, man, look, you just gave up early. You know, I've got the Spirit, I've got God living inside of me, I'm looking to Him to energise me and empower me and I'm just going to keep going when everyone else stops. You with me? All right, dial back to me, uh, back with me to the words that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12, verse uh, 4 to 6 here. You'll notice, you'll notice there, 
at the start, now there are varieties of gifts. Varieties of gifts. Now, a little bit of a teaching spot here. Uh, the Greek word, the New Testament's written in Greek. So the Greek word behind that word gifts is actually charisma. All right? It's charisma. Um, and it's the word group from which, um, the word that we get the idea of charismatic from. So it's also where we get charisma from, the notion of charisma. Now, there's lots and lots of different understandings of these two uh, things, a charismatic and charisma. Now, charismatic is a term used for a movement within Protestantism generally, but not restricted to. And charisma is often used to describe the special magnetic charm that someone has, some kind of appeal that someone actually has. And what I want to do is just pause for a moment because I want you to get a sense of what's going on here, right? I want you to just default straight up to just going charismatic, spiritual gifts, that's what we're talking about, speaking in tongues, prophecy, because there's a little bit more in this. Let me show you some other places where the word charisma shows up in the New Testament. Here's the first one. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Which word there do you reckon uh, is translated from the original word charisma? Gift, yeah. Gift is. Okay. Now that's interesting. You know, some people kind of say, oh, look at that. Charisma means spiritual gifts. Well, I want to suggest to you it actually means something a lot broader than spiritual gifts. You should notice here already, like this is actually talking about some kind of tangible, you know, grace and kindness of God. That's what it is. Have a look at this one, Romans 5.15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. Which word there? Gift? All right. This one here? Look at this. You can have charisma <laughs> to be married or single. I wish that all were as my as I myself am, but each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So the word there for gift is the word charisma in the Greek. All right? So it, it would actually be God's tangible gift to you to be married or to be single. Two Corinthians one verse eleven. You also must help us by prayers so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Anyone like to have a guess at which word there is uh, charisma in the Greek? Blessing is. Yeah. And the blessing here is deliverance. Now, nearly half of the uses of the word charisma in Paul are about the ways that God's grace has been evident and God's kindness has been evident amongst the people. So what we're actually talking about when we talk about the gifts is we're actually talking about the grace of God showing up in really tangible ways that you can understand and that you can see in word or in deed. And so the origin of the word charismatic is, and, and the charismatic movement is about believing in the spiritual gifts. Now... My dad was at a church at one point in time and they thought that that church, other outsiders thought that church was charismatic because they raised their hands in worship. <laughs> but typically, the charismatic movement and charismatic churches have been churches who have been identified as ones that believe in the spiritual gifts. So in one sense, if someone asked you, is the project charismatic? 
they would be asking, do you believe in the spiritual gifts? Do you believe that God comes in really tangible ways through his grace to make his presence and his kindness concrete, you could say? Yes, we are charismatic. Are you okay? Because it's God's kindness coming to effect in visible ways. Do you get that? That's what charisma is. That's what the gifts are. Listen to this from uh, Gordon Fee. Charisma does not necessarily refer to spirit activity. When it does, it seems to refer to specific visible ways in which the spirit manifests himself in the believing community, granting them gracious bestowments to meet their various needs and thus to build them up. You see that? That's what we're talking about here. It's the grace of God being worked out in concrete ways. And I want you to get this. And the, and the big thing that I want you to get here is we automatically want to default to saying the, the center and the focus of 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is spiritual gifts. And I want to say to you, it's not. It just isn't. The center of what Paul's actually saying in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is, isn't God generous? Isn't he good the way that he actually... By His Spirit, He does things to bless the body and to help people. Isn't it just good when He shows up in His church? Are you with me? That's, that's what Paul's saying. And so I think we can all just say, yes, that is good. Let's have supernatural church. Let's have supernatural small groups. Let's have supernatural prayer. Let's, let's have this generous God who comes and gets involved To help us. See, Paul is focused not on the gifts, but on God and his grace. But there's something amazing that's actually happening here. And I just want to say to you this morning, let's just have more spiritual gifts operating in the project. Is anyone up for that? Yeah. I mean, if I said to you, would you like the grace of God to be operating more and in more concrete ways in the project, you'd have to say, yes, yes. wouldn't you? Of course you do. Why wouldn't you? Let's get as much as we can. It's like a bunch of boys at a buffet, you know, and all you can eat buffet, you know, like well, how many plates can we load up? <laughs> and this is what was prophesied, right? And some of you are well versed with this one. This is prophesied in the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. Yes, please. You know? You're standing at a counter and what would you like? Just yes. Yes to all of that. Here's a caution. God's a giver. And he gives as he sees fit. And he can do it however, however he wants. He can give a gift. He can take away a gift. I think that we do well to pray and ask God for gifts. But at the end of the day, he chooses, doesn't he? He chooses what you get. You know, I think it's... Have you ever thought about how weird it is that people get proud about the gift that they have? Isn't that weird? It'd be like you walking out the back door, you're a pauper, you don't own any money. Someone shows up and they give you a Lamborghini and 10 minutes later you run around just going, how awesome am I? I just got this gift. Just going, you're an idiot, right? That's what you are because you just got something and you didn't do anything to get it and you're not a legend because of it. 
And it's weird in the church how people actually do that, isn't it? It's like God does something and it's like I'm a legend now because God did something through me. I was going, no, you just got something and God was really generous. That's what happened. You know, when my kids were young, they'd want to push the wheelbarrow full of stuff. They couldn't do it. So you know what would happen is I'd stand there and I'd get a back problem, you know, because my toddler's in between me, got his hands on the, on the handles there. My toddler at the end of it could just go away and go, I pushed the wheelbarrow. He's going, well, <laughs> kind of. I pushed the wheelbarrow. I just included you in it. And that's, I think, the way that God operates, right? He's a good father and he wants to involve people in what he's doing. But you just don't want to be saying, what a legend I am because I've got this thing happening. Here's another caution. If you look at, uh, go down to verse 28 in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 there. I think... It's, it's, it's worth just kind of throwing this one out because I don't think people think about this very much. You notice there, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28 there, it actually goes from... Uh, uh, can, someone, can someone read that for me? I actually don't have a Bible up here, isn't that terrible? Some way I've had... Someone like to just read verse 28 out loud? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you notice there, Paul actually starts out with uh, terminology that identifies people and then he shifts into gifts. Did you notice that? Now, it's a bit unclear. I mean, he might be actually talking about specific people or alternatively, he could actually be talking about officers in the church. But here's just a bit of a caution for you. If you go to look up the word healer, in the New Testament, you won't find it referred to any individual person. Okay? You just won't. So I guess I just want to throw a caution out there about someone being gifted in something and then automatically making an identity statement about who they are and that they're going to be that for the rest of their lives. Like I think it's a legitimate consideration and I'd probably lean more on this side of centre than on the other side because I think the way that we typically think about gifts is we think if someone's got the gift of healing they're going to have it for the rest of their life and I just go well they might just have it whenever God wants to use it and then it kind of goes away and and I think we just want to be a little bit careful we're saying that person's a healer uh, that I don't know you can work out what you'd call someone identity-wise who's got the gift of tongues, but that just gets weird. <laughs> Don't think about it for too long. <laughs> or, a, or a miracle worker, like you won't find miracle worker. Uh, and I guess I just want to suggest to you this morning that instead of just going, someone's healed someone and so all of a sudden now they've got this gift of healing that they retain for the rest of their days... I think God's a little bit more liberal and a bit more dynamic than having a static identity that sticks with a spiritual gift. Is anyone with me on that? And, and just to have that, have that kind of category in your head that God can give and he can take, uh, this, uh, take it away. It may be that particular people have more of a propensity to have God utilise them and give them gifts in that way, but I think we just want to be a bit hesitant about giving them an identity kind of title um, I think God's a bit more dynamic than that and I actually when I was doing the work on this thanks brother 
This guy's a deacon, right? Did you know that? You know what a deacon is? A servant. Good man. You know, when I was preparing this and I was just doing the work and doing the study in this, I, I mean, it, for me personally, just as a personal kind of response, it just seems to have that kind of feel a little bit more for me. Like when you, when you look at the way that Paul's kind of cashing this out, I just kind of go, yeah, it just looks like God's just kind of giving stuff out as the body needs it. And maybe one minute someone's going to have a gift of prophecy and they're going to say something, they're going to have some knowledge about something and then two weeks later they're not. And we're not necessarily going to expect them to be prophetic in everything that they do, but we're just going to, we're going to receive the gift that God kind of gives them at the time that uh, they need to have it from his point of view. Uh, happy to have a conversation with that one about you later. Um, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that people don't tend to have something that might stick with them over a longer period of time. I'm just saying let's be a little hesitant about that and be uh, a little bit more uh, open-armed, I guess, to what God might do in some cases and then not in another. All right, number two, God is real. Go back to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. To each, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, manifestation's got a bad rap, all right? And it's mostly because of movies about the devil, okay? There's some kind of demonic kind of manifestation and people get all kind of a bit queasy about this whole thing about what are we there's a manifestation of God well you know what manifestation means it just means to make something plain that's what it means you know God is real and he's a God who makes himself clear I mean think about it he, he sent prophets through the old testament to tell people about him and then he actually takes on human flesh and walks on the planet now I mean it doesn't get any more real than that does it you know, you can pinch him. I don't know. Did people give him birthday punches? I don't know. Stuff happened because he was real. He showed up. I mean, how more clear could you get? God's a self-communicator. He likes to reveal himself to people. So when the scriptures talk about a manifestation, it's talking about an event, an action, an object that clearly shows or embodies something that was a little bit more unclear, but now it's really clear. And it's not necessarily weird. And you just need to know that I think God is the kind of person who's in the business of doing that, of making things clear. Now, James chapter 5 talks about um, one of the roles of elders is actually to go and pray for sick people. And we, we do that pretty regularly as elders in the church here. We, uh, we anoint them with oil because that's what James 5 says to do and we uh, we pray for them and we pray that God would heal them and do you know what God's healed some people that we've prayed for all right and it's it's legit like don't sit there and go oh yeah yeah you just think that you did no it actually actually happened let me give you one example there was a uh, guy who's actually a uh, community group leader for us in the church here and um he uh, had a whole bunch of kind of intestinal kind of issues and he was a motorbike rider and he had a just ongoing chronic kind of back pain and, um, and he just called the elders and said, look, I just want you to pray for me that God would heal me. So we got some, I think it was olive oil or something, uh, not, not magic oil, just uh, olive oil. We poured it on his head. We prayed for him. At one point in time, uh, Nathan... Uh, put his hand down on his lower back down here and, and uh, prayed for his back. And, um, and do you know what? At the end of it, was okay, well, well, I mean, God does as he pleases. We just ask him. He just says to ask, so we ask, 
and he can do whatever he wants after that. And we always make that really clear to people. It didn't seem to us like a whole lot of stuff had happened. This guy was a particularly, um, I don't know, almost a, a more of an introverted kind of person, wasn't a particularly showy kind of person. About three weeks later, he comes up to us and he says, do you know when Nathan was praying for me and had his hand on my back, my back started cracking and popping while he was praying for me. And he said, I haven't had any back pain since I was prayed for. And it was, like, it was almost like he didn't want to say until he had some good evidence after it that it was all good. Now, do you know what that does? That is God's grace and his kindness being manifest and being made really clear, isn't it? Do you see that? And God's presence and his reality was made really clear by us praying. And I think that's the kind of thing that 1 Corinthians 12 is, is kind of talking about here, is that God's kindness and his goodness and his reality of his presence made, is made really clear through the gifts. So clear that if you go to 1 Corinthians 14, I'll put it on the screen in a minute, people who don't even trust in Jesus get saved because of it. All right? This is what's meant to be happening in the church. And note here, Paul's argument is like, let's not OD on tongues, because that doesn't really help anyone else really, unless there's an interpretation, it doesn't really help anyone else except for the individual person. He's saying, let's go for prophecy, because that can be really helpful. Listen to this. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God really is among you. That's the point, isn't it? It's like let's have these gifts operating so that people can come in and not be confused and weirded out by what's going on but so that they just see God at work and doing stuff. And they actually become a Christian. Who's up for that? Now the gifts display God's wisdom, His knowledge, His power to heal, His power over nature. They bring glory to God. And they're for the common good. I mean, that's, that's probably the thing here. Is like, let's just not have a really narrow view of what spiritual gifts are, but let's have a wider kind of view. I actually think that there's probably spiritual gifts that the Bible doesn't even talk about. I, I mean, that's the feel that I get in the Scriptures, is that God just gives out gifts to build up the body you know, as, as is necessary. And all play for the common good. Verse 7. Someone like to read out nice and loud, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Okay. Who, um, who gets it? Who gets the manifestation of the Spirit? Everyone. For whose benefit? Everyone. It's like an all play at every level. All right? Everyone gets it, and it's for everyone. Each person's given the spirit and the gifts which demonstrate his reality and make the grace of God concrete in the world. You know, in all the activities of the church, people within the church ought to be utilising the spiritual gifts that God's giving them 
so that God's made clear and that people are changed. Now, God has been generous to everyone. No one's exempt. So that actually makes a difference in what you think about before you come to church on Sunday morning, doesn't it? So your job on a Sunday morning is to be thinking about God, the Spirit being within you, that God's generous and that He's going to give you some tools for the common good at church. You know, your life should be supernatural. And, and here's the thing, I think the fact that everyone is giving gifts for the common good of the church tells you something about the kind of posture you need to have when you come to church. Now, you could have that posture, <laughs> all right? You could have a lean back posture, banana lounge, someone get me a drink. I want a stinking drink, can someone just get me one, all right? But if you read 1 Corinthians 12, even the few verses that we've read today, it just does not have that kind of feel. Unless that lounge is for someone other than you. Amen? Here's a kind of posture that I think 1 Corinthians 12 and God would have you to have, a lean-in posture. You don't lean back like a consumer, you lean in like a contributor. That's your job. So you don't come to church on a Sunday morning going, what would be a church service that I would like? What would be a joke that Peter could tell that I would actually find funny? Now that's a good question. But (laughs) I didn't like the music today. Really? Because when I read 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, it's not really talking about whether you like music or not or whether it suits you seems to me to be saying that you need to lean in and you need to lean in as a contributor, not a consumer. Now, the headache ought to be for the elders of a church to work out, everyone's leaning in. How do we get this whole thing to work so that the body works really well and people are built up really well? That ought to be the headache of leadership in churches, not how do we get people to lean in. And I, I guess just at this point, I'll just, um, I'll just challenge you this morning. Um, what, what's your posture at the project? Do you lean back like a consumer? Like what's, what's, your, what's your two hours before you come to church on a Sunday morning? What are you, what are you thinking about, apart from breaking up your kids from fighting? <laughs> if you've got kids. You know, is it lean in? Is it, you know, I've got some tools in my hands and my hands are dirty. And I'm planning on getting a more dirty at church today. We're going to get to work today. Would, Would this not be the most awesome church that's ever lived if we could all just consistently do that on Sunday? And we don't have people getting up and kind of talking about how, oh, we just don't have enough people to serve here and here and here. It's like, well, we've got too many, all right? Everyone's getting in on it and everyone's just active and it's kind of leaning in, leaning in like a contributor like 110% of the time and it's a headache for me just to work out how to find enough space for people to serve. Because that's kind of the vibe, isn't it? Isn't that the vibe? It's like God is a generous God. 
He gives gifts. He gives the Holy Spirit. And he says, now you go and be like me. I've been really generous to you. You go and be really generous and use the skills and the gifts and everything that I've given you to bless people. Now, I've said this a bunch of times at the project, but I'll say it again because as humans, we all drift back in this direction. The church is not primarily about service delivery. If you think the church is about service delivery, that you come and the church provides a service or the pastors provide a service, uh, I think you've got it wrong. You've got to lean back posture there. It's like I'll sit back, I'll sip on this and if the taste is not right and the, the temperature is not right, I'll let people know. That's, that, that is not a 1 Corinthians 12 view of the church. We haven't even got to the bit about being the body down the back end of the chapter. We haven't even got to that yet. But that's, you just can't get that. And I think one of the things that's fascinating about people who complain in churches, we don't have a lot of them, but we, we're full of humans, so there's always going to be some complainers somewhere. One of the things I've noticed about people who complain in churches is that they often complain about something that they're good at. They're good at. Have you ever noticed that? It's like they walk into a church and they have a particular gift that might, they might be able to serve in that particular area, but they'll complain and criticise the fact that that part of the church is not working very well. Has anyone else noticed this? And it's just like, great. Like, you're exactly the kind of person that we needed to come to this church. Because it is weak. It is weak. And, and maybe I could even ask you, why did you join this church? Why, why did you come today? You know, I've changed churches, I'll just speak for myself, rather than my whole family here, but I've changed churches once in my lifetime that wasn't because of a geographical movement that I moved to a different place, okay? And one of the things that was in my head when I changed churches, I wasn't going, which church is doing everything great the way that I think it should be happening? It was like, which church could I serve in? Which church maybe do I sense that God has, God has equipped me with some gifts in that actually could, could go and strengthen an area in there rather than finding one that's already strong in it? You know, no, you know, and so it was part of just going around and, you know, we, we didn't look around very much, but it was like, who, which church can we support the vision and which church is not necessarily strong in, in the thing that I, um, I've got a passion for? And that, that's kind of where it was sitting for me personally. You know, no church can be everything for everyone. You've heard, you can't please all the people all the time. I, I mean, I heard it said recently that you can't please any of the people all of the time. <laughs> Which I, I think is true. I think that one's probably true. You know, no church can be everything for everyone. The project is not perfect but I would encourage you to not have a mentality that's sitting back on a banana land saying this is not to my liking but to have a lean in kind of attitude that says what has God given me that I can contribute for the common good that's the title of this whole message the common good a cocktail and a banana lounge is not the common good <laughs> that's the individual's good 
But who knows that when you contribute to the common good, the common good affects the individuals. Does anyone know that? I'd encourage you. I mean, if there's some things in the project that, you're, that just don't sit cleanly with you, don't complain about them. Have conversations about it and make sure that you've got a lean-in attitude, a lean-in posture. You know, often what we'll do at the church here is when someone says something's not operating well, we'll say, well, have a crack at it. You know, and we would love that. We'd love you to take the initiative in stuff just with one qualification. It is actually the leaders, the way that God set it up is that leaders in the church provide kind of the, the vision and the direction for the church as a whole. So there might be some times where the leaders in the church just go, you know what, we appreciate that you've got a heart for that, but that's not really where we feel God wants us to go. So it's kind of like laissez-faire, if I can say that. We want to have some direction, some coordination and be under a vision. So what do you do if you're in the church? If you've got to have this lean-in thing, what do I do when I find something in the church that's not up to scratch? Let me give you a few tips. Realise that no church is perfect. Realise that you could complain about it or you could do something about it. And do something about it. And realise that when you do something about it, it is the responsibility of the elders and they will give an account to God for it, for the way that the church operates together to go forward. Realise that there will be some times where they'll give direction um, that, that will uh, kind of maybe truncate things or just shape the way that things are going so that the body works together well. Remember that. So, I'm going to finish. You're meant to come to church and ask God what it is that he would have you to do today. That's what you're meant to do. And give him lots and lots of space. So if you didn't do that today, let me encourage you to do it. I had a conversation with a man last week and do you know what he said to me? He goes, I've had the most awesome morning. He said, and I enjoyed talking with him because he's the same height as me and it's like nice to eyeball someone you know and I stood there and we had this good chat for a while and and he uh he he said I had the most awesome morning this morning I said why is that he goes you know what he goes I got up early this morning and uh, I decided that I was going to come to church early this morning because I wanted to talk to people (laughs) and he came to church and then he just went on and he told me about three or four things that he just determined last Sunday morning he's not here today but some of you go okay now I think I can work him out But he went on and talked about three or four other things that he lent into last Sunday morning. And you know what? He said, it's been a great morning. He goes, I've got to pray for someone. I've got, he he just, and it was like, it was such a blessing to me to stand there and hear this person in the church who just proactively decided in the morning, I'm going to come to church and I know that God wants to work through me. And so I'm going to have a lean in posture today. Not a lean back, but I'm going to have a lean in. And who would have thought that it's more blessed to give than receive? Other than Jesus. <laughs> True? Oh, yeah, he said it. And some of you know that. You just, some of you, I mean, I've had other conversations with people just going, you know, it's just such a blessing to be able to serve. And it, like we tell you about that lots, right? 
Church is meant to be supernatural. God's being generous to you. How will you be generous? 